Well, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible if you don't have one. Uh, we're going to get started in studying God's Word this morning. We have lots of Bibles around on uh, end tables uh, for you. Um, <coughs> each summer, we look to have a summer series for our family worship weekends. Uh, and this uh, summer, we've uh, chosen uh, the opportunity to talk about our choices. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, making decisions has always been a struggle for me. Uh, I found that there are some struggles that are a little harder than others, like whom I was going to date in high school or college, or even where I was going to go to pursue uh, what to study in life, or what was going to be my vocation. And I found myself doing foolish things. I found uh, myself doing things like, uh, God, if it's your will for me to pursue this relationship, hmm, let me hit all green lights on the way home. Anybody else ever, ever done that? Um, I found myself flipping coins. I found myself doing eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Uh, and even when I didn't get into my college of preference, I just decided that I wasn't going to make any decisions about where to go or what to do. And then God pursued me. And he led me to a gap year program where I learned how much I love studying the Bible, how much he wanted me uh, to use me in teaching the Bible which led me to about a year later sitting on an airplane as a 19-year-old young man moving to Pennsylvania from Florida, knowing I was unprepared to live on my own, to be financially responsible on my own, and especially to exist in the North uh, as a Floridian. And so major decisions has, have always been really, really hard for me. A few years ago, I was looking to, to leave ministry. I thought God was done with me. I was tired. I was exhausted. And in fact, I decided that I was going to limit uh, my, my choices. And so if God wanted to, me to remain in ministry, he would have to guide me to the right place to serve. So I put my name into one church, and I've been at Living Water for the last 12 years. Now, each individual makes about 35,000 decisions every day. And that, to me, was, uh, was an amazing thing to try and comprehend. You know, by the time you're home at the end of the day, you're probably exhausted. But you can't quite put your finger on why. You know, because at the very beginning of the day, you're faced with a slew of decisions. It might be, do I want to work out today? Or do I even get out of bed today? What do I want to wear do I want to take a shower? Do I want to spend time with people? Now understand, some decisions have influences on other decisions. Like if you don't take a shower with people, you may not get to spend time with people. And that's just the way that it goes. All right? But I want you to understand this morning that our decisions, even on small things, are based on inward desires and things that God has already done to equip us and to shape us. So we're going to do a little uh, exercise to help us develop that. We're going to play a simple game of this or that, all right? The way this is going to work is if you believe this is the correct answer, you're going to face towards that. And that, if you believe is what you believe is correct, is on the right side of the screen, you're going to face left, okay? So I need everybody to participate. And today is a, a, an audience participation or a worship room participation. So that means you, you all participate. If you're able to stand, that's great. <laughs> and the way that I was taught is if you don't participate with us, you participate 
for us. All right, so uh, I'm going to encourage you guys to stand as, as we get started. So we're going to play our first one, This or That. All right, now you'll notice that there is um, a decision that's already been made for you because chocolate is always the right decision. All right, so are you a uh, Hershey's milk chocolate or are you a white or dark chocolate person? So if you believe milk chocolate is the correct answer, you're going to face this way. All right, and if you believe... Uh, Dark or white chocolate, you're going to face this way. Did I say it the wrong way? I'm oh, sorry. Milk chocolate facing this way. White. Yes. I want you facing each other. All right. So milk chocolate, you're going to face this way. All right. White or dark chocolate, you're going to face this way. So you, you come face to face with a person who is in disagreement with you. All right. Now, you got five seconds. Tell them why. Tell them why yours is the best. And if you don't, you just know you're in agreement. <clears throat> All right, time's up. All right, we're going to go to the next one. All right, the next one is very simple. Cats or dogs? Now, I may have put my leaning in here in the, the type of picture. So if you're a dog person, you're going to face this way. If you're a cat person, you're going to face this way. Which is right? Which would you prefer? Which decision was already made for you? I am seeing a lot of dog people in here. Okay. All right, we're going to go to our third one. Summer or winter? Summer or winter? Summer, <laughs> I'm sorry, winter you're going to face this way. Summer you're going to face this way. Now some people understand, they're like, hey man, if, if winter, it doesn't snow, it doesn't matter. It's not winter. I'm seeing a lot of summer people. You guys are about to be happy, right? Lots of barbecues, lots of fun stuff. Okay, let's go to the next one. Cookies or chips. Now, I will tell you, after living here for 12 years, I've understood now there is something very different about Middlesworth barbecue chips, all right? So are you a cookies or a chips person? This or that, which would you prefer? You have to make a decision. All right, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Tacos, crunchy or soft? Crunchy or soft? You have to, you have to choose, although putting them together is quite the, quite the pairing. Put one inside the other. All right, hey, good job. You guys can have a seat. You guys can have a seat. Now, why was it easy for you to make these decisions? Maybe it was based on previous experiences. Maybe you had a bad experience with a crunchy taco. I don't know what your, what your situation was. Maybe it was simply just what was taught to you. You know, some people never had the opportunity to have crunchy tacos or soft tacos or Middlesworth barbecue chips, all right? And those are unfortunate people, all right? 
But maybe you also just have a passion for something, or maybe you dislike something uh, at, uh, completely, right? While you make those 35,000 decisions every day, about 70 of those decisions are very conscious decisions, potentially that have life-altering outcomes. So that means about 25,500 decisions a year and about 1.7 million choices in our life that require conscious decisions or conscious thought for us to contemplate. And so while we're young, most of us don't even think about the effort of thinking, existing, and providing for ourselves. But today, children and students and young adults are being thrust into making these decisions in life-altering ways without ever understanding how to think or how to contemplate or how to consider these things. And that's really the, the idea of why we wanted to talk about that this summer. Because we want each of you to understand how to make good choices and why it's crucial for successful Christian living. So this summer, we're going to be taking on three characters from God's Word that will lead us on a discovery as a church family on how to make choices and how those choices reveal our hearts. And so when we live our lives dedicated to Christ, it is important that we realize that our decisions should reflect that. And it can be hard to align our choices with God's will. And even more so, it complicates uh, uh, the, the decision-making process when we live in a world that tells us that we should be focused on ourselves and our happiness instead of being focused on God and what he teaches us about how we should live. So this morning, we're going to start off with our first character, and that is the character of Judas. And you're like, Pastor James, Judas, really? His choice? Am I going to be faced with betraying Jesus? Now, Judas was a very common name in the first uh, century Jewish culture. In fact, there were two apostles that were named Judas, Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot. Not so much today. In fact, when my wife and I uh, started having children, we decided that we weren't going to find out what gender of baby we were going to have. And we had names picked out, but we weren't going to tell the names of our children. And so when people started asking, we started telling them what the names might be. We said, well, if it is a son, we'll probably name him Adolf Judas. And if it's a girl, Jezebel Rahab. And it didn't take long for people to shut up and stop asking. Uh, by the time our last child was born, people didn't even ask anymore because they knew we just weren't going to tell them, right? Why is it that people don't name their child Judas anymore? Well, part of that is his character. Well, let's understand a little bit um, by getting into God's word. I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on uh, the, the tables around you. We're also going to have it on the screen. <coughs> and if you would, as we read together, I'm going to encourage you to stand in respect for the reading of God's Word. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 6. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, that is Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. 
And then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him, that is Jesus, to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in an absence of a crowd. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to look at one big idea, and it's going to have a bunch of different parts, but at the end of today, I want you to understand that God calls us to treasure his word and to find our purpose in him. And so as we walk away, that's what I want you to, to be able to walk away with this morning. Now, I've had an inward struggle, an ongoing struggle with Judas uh, and the common characterization of Judas Iscariot. I think in most people's minds, he's always dressed in black, in contrast to Jesus being dressed in white. He always lurks in the shadows, his face with a grimace because he always is angry. He has menacing eyebrows. He has unruly hair, looking as if he just stepped out from a, fo- uh, uh, from a photo of a police lineup. But this is a convenient, of course. It makes Judas out to be a treacherous man that we would want nothing to do with. However, it's not necessarily the only picture of Judas that we see in Scripture. More likely, we see Judas around us today. You may brush shoulders with Judas in any crowd. You may see him doing business uh, each day of the week. You may even be sitting next to him in church this morning because he was an apostle. Regardless of your notion of Judas Iscariot, he's one of the best examples of a missed opportunity in history. He lived day in and day out with Jesus Christ for three years. But at the end of those three years, Judas betrayed Jesus. It was the most despicable act in all of human history and the one that merited the most severe punishment. In the chilling words of of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, he said this, Woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus was saying it was better for him not to even been born than to betray Jesus. So this was the end result of Judas. But what led Judas Iscariot to make these decisions? Why would Judas go and pursue the opportunity to betray Jesus? Well, let's first of all look at the call of Judas. Let's look and see how he was called to follow Jesus. Now, I told you, audience participation. So when I say, all right, and boys and girls, you're going to have to help me and and help your parents. When I say call or called, all right, you're going to repeat the words, follow me, follow me. All right, so let's practice. If I say call, you say you can do way better than that. Let's try again. Call. Follow me, follow me. There we go. So in the writing of the Gospels about the calling, there we go, good, of the disciples, uh, the description, there's descriptions of seven of the 12 disciples. All right, four of them were called while they were on boats casting nets into the sea. Two of them were called while they were walking down the road. And one was called, 
you guys are starting to slope off here. All right. Was a tax collector while he was sitting in a tax collector's booth. All right. The only scripture that lists out all of the disciples' names in its entirety is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16. And it says there, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, that is Jesus, and all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called... Thank you. I appreciate whoever was on the punch there. All right. His disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So there's a lot of people following, but then he named 12 to be apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. Oh, you're good. All right. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, there's two things I want you to focus on here. First of all, understand, all right, there were 12 chosen from all of the disciples, and that included Jesus. I'm sorry, it was Judas. Jesus chose Judas to be one of his apostles. He called them, all right, to follow him every single day of his ministry. But he also, we also understand from this scripture that Judas was not always a traitor because at the end we see that he became a traitor. He was not chosen to betray Jesus. He was not chosen to become a traitor. Judas was called to follow Jesus. And Judas responded, and Judas had the same opportunities that Peter and James and John had and Philip had. He dressed the same way. He saw what they saw. He proclaimed the same kingdom message. He went out witnessing as they did. But Judas showed an eagerness, I'm sorry, Judas showed an eagerness to follow Christ. He desired to be an apostle of Christ. And when Jesus called him saying, there we go. Judas rose and followed, leaving all that he had. And so Judas and the disciples were not all that different than our calling today. Follow me, follow me. There you go. Okay, good. See, because we don't deserve Jesus to call us. They didn't have any nobility. They had no religious standing. Many were fishermen. There was no reason for them to travel together and get along. Matthew worked for the Romans and the government. And Simon, the zealot, tried to overthrow the Roman government. From a worldly perspective, they had no business being together. And Judas received no special treatment from Jesus that's recorded in Scripture until the final days of Jesus' life. He was a disciple. He was an apostle. And what we understand from Scripture is that before Judas took the bread that Jesus offered to him in the upper room, Judas had already made the decision that he was going to compromise. He was going to give up his understanding of right. He was deceiving himself in the realities of this world by denying the truth of what he was being taught by Jesus. And so we understand that Judas was called to follow me, Right? But we also understand that Judas was deceived. And when we think about the idea of being deceived, it is an intentional misleading of others. So when I think of what that looks like, all right, in my life, 
Um, and especially for you young kids out here, all right, you guys know what it's like whenever you tap somebody on the opposite shoulder, all right, okay, and you want to get them to look somewhere else. So we're going to simply say, when I say deceived or deception, we're going to say, look over there, okay, so let's practice it. You ready? Deceived? Look over there. You can point whatever direction, all right? Uh, you can tap somebody on the opposite shoulder. I'm going to try and keep everybody reeled in so it doesn't become a problem, okay? All right. Now, self-deception, there we go, all right, is not intentionally uh, misleading others. It's allowing ourselves to be misled by a false idea or feeling or situation that we believe is true. And there's two references that give us a picture of Judas's character and his choices. There are two passages that show us a fulfillment of what we have to guard against today in our life. All right, and these are the deceptions of Judas. There we go. Good. You guys are on your game. All right, so let's look at the first one. Matthew chapter 15 um, helps us to understand why this is so important for us. Because Judas lived this out. This was his problem. These people, or this people, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, uh, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They got in trouble because they started believing what man was saying instead of what God was saying. And so there's two ways that Judas gave in to self-deception. Oh, some of you guys said, Call, follow me. All right, you guys got to get on your game here. <laughs> all right, first of all, he was deceived by treasure. Good, by treasure. All right, so now we're going to add some complicating factors here, okay? So we're going to add in treasure, all right? Now, whenever I say treasure, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a heart, all right? You can either go like this or you can, make a, you can pat your chest because, you know, some guys are like, James, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> All right, you can do this, and that's okay, all right, if that works for you, all right? But treasure, it has everything to do with our heart. And we see this from Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so when we think about treasure, there we go, good. Most of you guys think about money. So I need uh, a young child, all right? I'm thinking kindergarten, first grade age, uh, who may be really, tr okay. Uh, is that AJ? AJ, come on up here, all right? So AJ, you guys can give him a round of applause. All right, AJ, I, I'm going to give you some money to hold on to. Okay. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay, are you sure? You're not going to take any of it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, can you count? Yeah. Okay, all right, because we're going to count to make sure that we're okay. okay. Are you ready? $1, $2, $3. <laughs> I thought you said you were trustworthy. All right, where are we at? What number are we on? $3. Okay. Okay, all right, good. You're going to hold on to that for me? Yeah. All right, good. Go sit down. All right, give him a hand. Now, Judas had charge of the money for Jesus and the disciples. And we see that in the book of John, chapter 13. And, and I'm not sure how they made that decision. 
But the Bible, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But maybe it was that Judas was very intelligent with money. Maybe it was because he was the only disciple that was from southern Israel and not from Galilee. Maybe it was because they didn't want the tax collector to hold on to the money because they didn't trust him. All right, but what we are told is uh, there was a time at the beginning of the book of John, uh, a beginning of John chapter 12, about a time when Judas chose to value possessions over relationships and money over worship. It says this, um, it, it was, let me just kind of uh, cast a vision for what happened in the beginning. It was six days before the Passover where Jesus goes to the house of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is about, about six to seven days before Jesus would be crucified. Mary pulls out a bottle of expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe it with her hair. And this is what Judas says in response. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it, I mean, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So what we see here is that Judas treasured, whoop, come on, be with me here, all right? Judas treasured wealth and not Jesus. We see that he treasured the wrong thing in his heart. He was a thief. This was put in later. All right, this was not something that we see Judas being called out on while he was a disciple or an apostle. He used to take money, that he, he took money that belonged to Jesus and the disciples. And this might be something that was discovered later after Judas even betrayed Jesus. And it calls him a thief. Well, a thief is somebody who is a, per, is a person who steals in secret by fraud or by scheming. And so we see that Judas chose to ignore God's warning about earthly treasure, right? He, didn't he, he did not desire the eternal and spiritual blessings as a believer will, um, that uh, we will richly receive as a faithful child of God. Instead, he ignored Christ's warning that earthly treasures are, are easily destroyed and quickly decay. And Judas focused on his eyes on having money and all the possessions and power that accompany it. So, how are we supposed to combat that idea today? How do we combat that? How do we keep from treasuring the things of this world? How do we make sure that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Well, we need to remember that we are a caretaker. We are caretakers of what God has given to us. God sees fit to provide for our families. He doesn't want us to treasure what we've been given. He wants us to treasure his presence. All right, he does this and gives us opportunities all right, to be able to worship him through this. And it doesn't matter if he's given us a, a lot or if he's given us just a, a little bit. We are faithful with what he has given to us. AJ, can you come back up here? Thank you. All right. Now, AJ has been a caretaker for a period of time. Oh, man, you are really eager to get up here. Okay, all right, can you count, out, count that back out for me? One dollar, two dollars, 
$3, $4, $5. Awesome. Hey, great job of being a caretaker. I'll tell you what. Here you go. Thank you, sir. All right? Because we understand we just hold on to it. It's not ours. Whatever that looks like, God has entrusted to us, all right, these things that are earthly, all right, but they're not supposed to be treasures, right? Now, the second thing that Judas was deceived by, look over there, all right, you guys, come on, all right, was he was deceived, all right, by choosing the wrong goal. Now, let me ask a question that our children should know because we've covered this on Wednesday nights. Why did God create us? Now, this is going to test you, you know, your, your memory and take you way back. Why did God create us? All right? I want you to turn to a neighbor right now and answer this question. All right? I'm serious. All right? Turn to somebody right there. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Why did God create us? Okay, now, here's what we teach downstairs, because I think it's important for you guys to understand, all right? We've gone through and, and taught through um, some, some catechism-type ideas, and here's what we have tried to help our children understand. Why did God create us? Well, God created us, male and female, in his own image, to know him, to love him, to live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who are created by God should live to his glory, right? And so when we talk about having the right goal or the right purpose today, all right, instead of being deceived, look over there. There we go. Good. All right. You guys are on it. All right. Our goal should be to worship. So there's many ways that people worship. All right. Today, all right, our worship needs to be like this. It's a goal, all right? How many times, you, yeah, see, thank you, all right, you guys, all right, whenever that winning kick goes in, all right, whenever somebody scores a touchdown, that's our goal, right? Okay, so you guys practice, goal? All right, there we go. Audience participation, it's important. So, what does God say our goal should be? All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says this, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And unfortunately, Judas became a man of double motives and wrong goals. He said the right things, but he does the wrong things. And at the end of Judas's life, we see that he has a heart change after he realized that he had deceived himself. God. Here's what happens. In Matthew 27, it says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. And we know now that Judas had chosen to follow Jesus even when other followers chose to desert Jesus. And at that time, Judas stayed with him. He didn't believe though, that Jesus was the goal of life. While other apostles and disciples followed Jesus and believed that Jesus uh, was who he said he was, Judas does not seem to believe this. 
And now this is all based on the way that Judas talks to Jesus. He always referred to him as rabbi or teacher and not Lord. Every opportunity that Judas had to call him Lord, instead he called him rabbi. In John chapter 6, verse 63 and 64, we see that there was an opportunity where Judas um, was faced where other disciples left. Right? Not apostles, other disciples left. Judas stayed. And it says this in verse 30, uh, 63 and 64. It says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh who's no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that, uh, who would betray him. So why would Judas follow it all? Why would he even be there? Well, many uh, Bible teachers believe that Judas desired to be with Christ and follow him because it was about power and prestige. Many in southern Israel, where Judas was from, believed that the Messiah would bring political deliverance and prestige. And perhaps Judas wanted to share in the political glory that would come when the Messiah would defeat the Roman world. And several Bible commentators believe that Christ's popularity faded and so Judas and his excitement about the teacher also faded. Still seeking to use the situation to his advantage, Judas reprogrammed his goal. Right? Judas sought to turn the nation's rejection of Christ as her Messiah into an action that would benefit him because he never understood his goal or his purpose. Right? Judas followed outwardly, but inwardly he lived in sin under Satan's control. He appeared moral and righteous, but inside he was wicked and full of sin. All right, that's what the Bible calls a hypocrite. He pretended that his own goal was to love and serve God, but in reality he followed his own ambitions. So how do we know that our goal is what it is and what we treasure? Well, we measure it. The Bible is, is full of ways to evaluate our lives. And if we're honest, we can see that many of us may have our own selfish desires. Consider this. What do we talk about? What do we talk about? Because it shows our hearts. Luke chapter 6 says this way. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, all right? So if we want to measure what is in our heart, we should be considering what comes out of our mouth. Well, how about this one? How do we spend our time? Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17 says this way, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So simply just look at where we spend our time. What is it that we do whenever we don't have anything planned? That should reveal our hearts. And for some of us, that might be terrifying because we spend stuff, spend time worshiping things that aren't worthy of worship. How do we spend our money? Let's do an exercise. What was the last thing that you spent money on? All right, that wasn't food or wasn't gas. All right, 
turn to somebody right now and tell them. What was it? <laughs> now we're starting to think. Okay. All right. Now, I want you to understand, this is so clear, and the Bible talks so much about money, I decided to go outside of Christian realms, and I went to a secular professor, all right, a guy that, that graduated, oh, excuse me, that used to be a professor at the University of Notre Dame, and he says it this way, don't tell me where your priorities are, show me where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what they are. All right, the Bible is full of conversations about money, all right? Even the world sees that what our priorities are, are determined, our, our money and our priorities go hand in hand. All right, how about this last one? What do we invest in emotionally or physically? Here's what, here's what God's word tells us in 1 Timothy 4. It says this, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for this present life and for the life to come, all right? And you can use that to get out of New Year's uh, Day resolutions if you want to. But I understand, all right, spiritual things have greater value than physical things. So this morning, we've seen the, cho the choices that Judas was faced with. Let's see if we were paying attention, all right? You guys remember all the hand motions, because we're going to put them all together. You guys ready for it? Okay. All right. We are called to follow Jesus. All right. We must learn to treasure the right things that will draw our hearts towards worship. Worship should be the goal of our lives. And we must guard against being deceived by our own desires and what the world wants us to pursue, all right? Because God calls us to treasure his word and to find our goals or our purpose in him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I would ask that you would take these concepts that we have learned by looking at the life of Judas and apply them into our hearts and lives. There are many areas in our lives that we may look to for hope and happiness. And Father, I would ask that you would find our that you would help us as we find our purpose in you, that we would treasure you and your words, as the psalmist says, they are to be desired more than gold, and they are sweeter than the honey dripping from the honeycomb. I pray that as we treasure your word in our hearts, that you would help us to know the choices that would honor you with our mouths, with our hands, and with our feet. And Father, we thank you for an opportunity to represent you here on earth today. And this morning, we pray that uh, you would bless the offering that we are going to prepare to receive, that you would accept this act of worship as we give back to you what you have entrusted to us as caretakers. You have blessed us in this way and in many other ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.